Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Merry Christmas. It's great to be with you today. Here's a question. What do you love about Christmas? If you were to ask me that question and we were sitting down having a cup of coffee, I'd probably talk about Christmas Eve. It's a special evening for me. After the kids have been confined to their sleeping quarters and they're pretending that they're asleep and my wife has tapped out, I'm usually the last guy standing in the house. In fact, I'm the only guy standing in the house because I'm in a house surrounded by uh, four lovely women. But while they're all sleeping or pretending to be sleeping, I'm usually assembling a toy of some sorts. And then once I'm done, I put all of the presents where they need to be to set the scene for when the kids come down on Christmas morning. But before I go up for the evening, I'll take a picture. And once I take the picture, I'll go back and look at the different Christmases of the past and the different memories. And it's a special moment that I look forward to on Christmas Eve. But what about you? What do you love about Christmas. Maybe you love those Christmas Hallmark movies. Maybe you're the type of person that loves a warm beverage, a warm blanket by a warm fire, eating some warm sugar cookies, and you get your Hallmark on. Or maybe you're that person watching right now thinking of all the things that have been canceled in 2020. Why not cancel those Hallmark Christmas movies? Believe it or not, and you might disagree with me, but hear me out. I would suggest that Christmas is the greatest love story ever told. And if you're tuning in and you're watching this and you wouldn't consider yourself a religious person, you're probably thinking, well, I would expect a pastor to say that on Christmas Eve. A pastor's kind of like a car salesman trying to sell people a car that they can't afford. And if I'm describing you and that's what you're thinking and you would consider yourself a skeptic at heart when it comes to the Bible, God, or Christianity, I'm glad that you're watching. And I would say, I agree with you. You're right. I've got an agenda. A few times a year, I've got a captive audience. But hear me out. If I'm right about what Christmas is and what Christmas is not, then, you know, you've got a lot to consider. But if I'm wrong about what Christmas is and what Christmas is not, then you've got nothing to lose. So just hang in with me for the next 20 minutes as I unpack a real tension when it comes to anything that we love. When we love something or someone terribly, we are capable of something terrible. I want you to think about that. The reality is, is that in 2020, uh, the worst of humanity (laughs) has come out. Isn't that true? That as we've experienced great loss, that we've experienced some of the worst of what humanity has to offer. And that's what happens when someone loses something or someone that they love. You see, in 2020, we've lost predictability, you know, rhythms and schedules and what the next day is going to look like. Some people have lost businesses right here in central New York. Many businesses have closed. Longtime business owners have had to close their doors. And so we've lost income. Some people have lost their jobs. Uh, Some people have lost time with loved ones that they care about and they look forward to gathering with this time of year. All of us in some ways have experienced the loss 
loss of freedom in deciding what we wear or what we don't wear, where we go or where we don't go. And when you experience the loss of something that you love or some, someone that you love, oftentimes what we experience is sadness and frustration and anger and even rage. Rage. Hear me out. Who would have thought in, in 2020 that we would discover that we loved toilet paper so much. I mean, be honest with yourself. Who would have thought that you would turn into the Incredible Hulk while going shopping looking for some toilet paper? Who would have thought that you would have discovered your love for a thin sheet of paper? (laughs) But when you lose something you love, you discover just how capable you are of wrath and anger and vengeance. Just ask that person that you tried to steal the toilet paper from in the parking lot. I'm kidding. Here's an uncomfortable truth that comes with the Christmas message. Love is not separate from wrath. You see, the more that we love something or someone, the more capable we are of wrath. I was talking about this reality with my wife a couple nights ago, and I was talking about that as a dad and as my daughters grow older, the more that I understand my capability when it comes to wrath and the depth of my depravity. An easy example is my wife's telling me about oldest daughter had gone out to play with some friends in the neighborhood and she went out to kind of see if they were interested in playing and they ran in the opposite direction and hid from her and she came back and she was hurt and she was upset. Pretty basic stuff that kids deal with, right? But inside, internally, I was saying, I'm going to go talk to, to their parents, to their father and say, what are you doing? How are you raising your kid this way? And that's basic. That's not even if someone had hurt her or taken advantage of her or assaulted her. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we have uh, some friends that uh, their daughter got hit by a drunk driver and it has left her permanently disabled. And honestly, if, something, if someone did something like that to my own daughter, I would say, yeah, wrath would be stirred up inside me because of how much I love my kids. You see, the truth is that you can't separate love from wrath. And the more that you love something or someone, the more capable you are of wrath. Now, at this point, you're thinking, wait a minute, it's Christmas Eve, right? Come on, pastor, get to the part of baby Jesus in a manger. Silent night, all is well in the world. We sing some songs. I can go home and go about my Christmas. And I would say, we'll get there. But every great love story has conflict. And this is where we're at. We're experiencing the tension and conflict within this story. A few years ago, I wanted a nativity set. Many people have something like this in their own home. But I didn't want just any nativity set. I wanted all of the key players. I love action movies. Give me Jason Bourne. For Sorry, forget you <laughs> Jane Austen fans. But as I went on Amazon to find a nativity set with King Herod, I wanted the villain. I wanted to be able to play out the true story of Christmas. And so I went on Amazon and I'm searching, you know, give me a nativity set with King Herod. And search after search, for whatever reason in that moment, the thing that was popping up was King Kong. So I said, all right, God, you've spoken. King Kong will play the role of King Herod in the Ryerson household. So this is what our nativity set looks like. You've got, you know, King Kong and sweet 
little baby Jesus. Now, if, if you're not familiar with King Herod outside of the Christmas story, let me tell you a little bit about his story. You know, he was the king of Judea at the time of the birth of Christ. But what you need to know about King Herod is that he was an ambitious guy. He was a builder. He was one of the key players when it came to the building of the very temple that Jesus walked in. But he was also known for building port cities and aqueducts and palaces and fortresses. But here's something you'll probably remember that's connected to the story of King Herod. Most of us remember studying Julius Caesar in high school. And we are familiar with the story where, you know, he was murdered attending the session, uh, attending a session of the Senate. And that was about 44 BC. But what happens after that is that uh, Caesar Augustus and his friend Mark Antony go on a revenge quest to avenge the death of Julius Caesar. And they killed all of the people responsible and connected to that murder. And afterwards, it brought forth an awkward tension because both were powerful leaders with a significant amount of large, a large number of troops. And there could only be one true leader. And so people were nervous in terms of what was going to happen because another war would be bad for business. Enter King Herod. You see, King Herod had an interesting predicament. He needed to choose. Where was he going to place his allegiance? And would he place his confidence and trust alongside Mark Antony and, and serve him faithfully and his famous Egyptian wife, Cleopatra? Or would he cash in all of his chips with Octavius known as Caesar Augustus? Well, Herod befriended Mark Antony and his famous uh, Egyptian wife, Cleopatra. And what he did was throw lavish parties to support Mark Antony as the next Roman uh, ruler of the great empire. Unfortunately, he bet on the wrong horse. Mark Antony and Cleopatra hightail it back to Alexandria, which leaves Herod with three options. He could take his own life. Rather than face the consequences of choosing the wrong guy, he could go on the run, but eventually he would be found and probably tortured, or he could hunker down and hope that everything blows over. But none of these options would have satisfied Herod because the thing that Herod loved the most was power, and he didn't want to give that up. King Herod loved power. And so Herod makes a choice. He chooses to show up and have a conversation with Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world at that time. I can only imagine what it was like delivering the message to Caesar Augustus. Hey, you've got a visitor. King Herod's here. <laughs> Great. Saves me a trip. I was just about to send my men out to bring him, capture him, and bring him in to have a little bit of a conversation. And so Herod shows up and delivers a magnificent speech. I mean, in his strategy was profound. He just said, listen, I'm going to address the elephant in the room here. It's clear that I pledged my allegiance to Mark Antony, but you saw how loyal I was to him. You saw how I served him so faithfully. So here's my pitch. I will serve you just as faithful, faithfully, and I will be just as loyal to you as I was to him. And so Caesar Augustus was so impressed that not only did he avoid killing him and, and spare him his life, he gave him more power and he gave him more territory. You see, that's the background of King Herod. He was ambitious. Uh, he was ruthless and 
boy, oh boy, did he love power. So much so that when he was suspicious of his own children and thinking that they might try to take his power away from him, he killed them. He even killed his own wives who he was suspicious of trying to possibly overthrow him. This guy had killed so many Jewish rabbis that no rabbi wanted to get near Jerusalem. And so at the age of 70 years old, while battling a painful kidney disease, just five miles south of him, he heard of a new king that had been learning to walk that was a threat to the power that King Herod loved. And so his solution was wrath. But God would intervene. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Now, you know Joseph because you've heard the Christmas story before of Joseph and Mary. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, this is the type of home security that I want. You know, uh, my daughter, you know, is trying to leave the house. An angel of the Lord appears, warning Pastor Ryerson, someone is trying to exit the facility. Or, you know, a boyfriend trying to come into my daughter's bedroom. Warning Pastor Ryerson, danger, alert. That's what I want. I don't know how to make that happen, but, you know, that would be fantastic. So while I've got you laughing a little bit, let me share another uncomfortable truth. There is a little bit of Herod and every one of us. You see, we're all capable, capable of something terrible when we love something or someone terribly. My kids will tell you that you don't miss with dad's favorite Christmas candy. My favorite Christmas candy are turtles. And I don't even, it's not really a Christmas candy, but I always got them on Christmas. So to me, it's a Christmas candy. I love chocolate covered pecans, with caramel, and a little bit of sea salt. By the way, if you want to bless your pastor, you can. 4600 Enders Road, that's a church address. You know, you, you can make it happen. But there, if you mess with that thing that I love, there's wrath that comes out. I mean, don't mess with my Christmas candy. So where does that response come from? You would say, well, probably an overstressed, exhausted parent uh, taking it out on a box of chocolates. Fair enough. But here's another suggestion. Genesis 126 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our Likeness. Us refers to the God of biblical Christianity. One God, three distinct persons, the Trinity. Now, for us to try to define love through human ideals, it's impossible because our definition of love will always be tainted by sin and brokenness and, and corruption and selfishness. But in the Trinity, we have this perfect relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this relationship knew no sin, it knew no pain, it knew no evil, it knew no brokenness. It was the perfect demonstration of love. And so when we talk about love and the origin of love, the origin of love is God because God is love. You see, here's what separates biblical Christianity from other religions and faith in the world. Religion teaches that love comes from God. But biblical Christianity teaches that God is love. Let me be clear. Love isn't God, but God is love. God isn't simply loving. God is love. You see, Judaism, Islam, and Mormonism proclaim a God who loves. But biblical Christianity teaches that God himself is love. True love. Real love. 
And so when it comes to love, here's something we've got to consider. Think about it. A solitary God cannot be love. He may uh, learn to love or yearn for love, but he cannot in himself be love since love requires an object. Real love requires a relationship. So from the beginning of time, from the beginning of all things coming into existence, we had a perfect relationship defined by love between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have loved each other Perfectly, And in this likeness, in his likeness, we were created. So here's the big question. In what way does God love us? Terribly. Terribly enough that he would do something terrible. John says it this way. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son and only, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Boom. (laughs) Finally, this pastor's finally getting to the message of Christmas. This is why I showed up, right? Jesus in a manger, give us our candles and sing silent night and then we're done. Nope, not quite yet. This verse probably sounds familiar. It sounds like another verse in the New Testament, John 3, 16, made famous by Tim Tebow. Uh, you know, if you recall, he would put it under his eyes before game day. Now, when we think about for God so loved the world, often we, we equate world to a quantity, a number of people. But in context, what John's saying is a description, a quality of the world. What God is trying to communicate through John is that when he looked at the world, he saw a world lost in darkness, depravity, wickedness, and and that was so full of sin that humanity was dead to God. That feels uncomfortable, right? I mean, the temptation at this point would to say something along the lines of, but it's okay because, you know, God hates sin, but he loves sinners. But, but is that clear? Is that hopeful? Is that truth? I mean, what do you do with Psalm 5? Psalm 5 in the Old Testament says that the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. Make it stop, right? I mean... This is uncomfortable, but it's going to get better. See, what I'm trying to help us do is appreciate the gospel because the gospel is this. The gospel says that you're more sinful, wicked, and flawed than you truly understand. But it also says that you are more loved, known, cared for, and accepted in Christ Jesus than you could ever dream, hope, or imagine. And this is why the psalmist goes on to say, but I by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. You see, to understand what we talk about and the idea of worship, notice where it starts. It starts by understanding the depth of our depravity, the depth of our sin. In light of that, we recognize that only by God's great love can we come into his presence. And if this is true, and once we understand that, our response then is what? It's... It's worship. But to help us understand the significance of the way that God loves us in this way, I want to do a quick mental exercise. Who is it that you hate? I said, oh, wait a minute. I'm a good person. I don't don't hate anybody. Okay, just for the sake of argument, let's just pretend that you did hate somebody, someone that you detested, someone that you can't even stand to be in the presence of, the very thought of, your, of them, your blood starts boiling. I mean, you want nothing to do with them. Who is that person that comes to mind that drives you crazy? Who is it? 
Now, would you die for them? Would you serve them in this way? Would you give up your life so that they could live? Would you serve your enemy in this way? Listen listen to what John's saying here. John's saying, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Boom, Christmas. That's the what. Here's the why. As an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, because God loved us terribly, he did something terrible. The wrath of God the Father was absorbed by God the Son. All, all in the name of love. The punishment for the sin of humanity, Jesus took on. He was physically broken. He died and he gave up his life. Why? So that you and I, we might live. You see, the Christmas account, the birth of Jesus, reminds us this truth, that we haven't truly lived until we've been truly loved. See, we can do a lot apart from Jesus. We can travel the world. Uh, We can experience the the pleasures of life. Uh, We can experience the different continents and the the physical locations. We can sing. We can dance. We can can, uh, laugh. We can cry. We We can mourn. We can experience the best of life has to offer, that great steak, that that glass of wine, whatever tickles your fancy. You can do all of that apart from Jesus. But what the story of Christmas says, what the message of Christmas says, is that we cannot truly live until we've been truly loved. And I'm talking about the type of love that says the darkness in your life is so deep and so repulsive that you can't be in my presence, but, but I love you. I'm talking about the type of love that says what you've done in my eyes is punishable by death, but I love you. I'm talking about the type of love that says I have every reason to hate you, and yet I love you. You see, the message of Christmas is that for God so loved the world, he sent the light of the world to give up his life so that we may live. And this, my folks, is the greatest love story. You see, John said it this way. It's a letter in the New Testament, 1 John, towards the very back of the Bible. Let me share a couple of verses with you. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. You see, for Christmas, John's, John's, it's historical, it's personal. He was there. He lived it. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. The life appeared. Boom. Christmas happened. We have seen it and testify it to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life. This is a type of light that can never go out in darkness, which was the Father and has appeared to us. So one God, three distinct persons, one of the persons of God becomes a human being, baby in a manger, Jesus. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Not that we just, you know, heard that was passed down the rumor veil or the gossip train. No, we were there. We saw it. We heard it. We touched it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Why did Jesus come? Not just the what, the birth of Christ, so that we could have a relationship and experience this love from God. And our fellowship 
fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Not that they didn't have joy, but to have complete joy was to have as many believers as possible experience the love of Christ. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, here's John's Christmas story, one sentence, God is light and in him there was no darkness at all. So this Christmas, there are a lot of things that have been canceled that might look differently or things that you would have hoped to do that you can't do this Christmas. But let me tell you something that will, be, that will never be canceled and that's God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The light of God, love and darkness will never go out. The last song this evening we're going to sing is Silent Night. And you're going to see a few families holding some candles to help us remember the light of the world coming down into darkness. If you have a candle at home, it doesn't need to be special. Just grab one, turn off the lights, and you can participate with us in that way. But before we do that, let me leave you with a couple of thoughts. So in light of God loving us this way, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, the message of Christmas, ultimately, you can't fully appreciate until you also have the message of Easter too. And the two of them come together and say, God gave up his life. Jesus gave up his life so that you might live, that I might live, that we might live. And if this is true, the marching orders for Christians all over the world then is, so you must love one another. And so when it comes to Christmas, we must do more than just remember the light of the world. We must share the light of the world. But I want to speak to those that are watching right now that maybe are on the fence when it comes to the person of Jesus. My invitation to you this Christmas, more than just remember the light of the world, that you would receive the light of the world. You know, one of my favorite stories comes from a terrible tragedy. It's the historical account of the Titanic, also well-known uh, romance film, you know, one of the greatest, film, uh, greatest grossing films. Uh, in history is the famous, you know, Jack and Kate, I'll never let you go on the Titanic. But the historical account of the Titanic provides a powerful message. You see, after the Titanic hit the iceberg and began to sink to the bottom of the ocean, in London Square, they drew up a chalkboard and drew a line making a ledger. And on one side of the ledger, it said lost. And on the other side of the ledger, it said found. You see, going on to the Titanic, you know what mattered? Your wealth, your, your position in society, who you knew, what you had accomplished in life. All of that mattered. But you know what? After the Titanic sunk, the only thing that mattered is what name, what side of the ledger your name was on. Lost or found. And so this Christmas, my invitation, as we sing these last two songs, if you've not taken that step towards Jesus, I invite you to consider a simple prayer. Jesus, it's clear to me that I'm a sinner. Jesus, it's clear to me that you're my Savior. Take my life to the best of my ability. I'm all yours. From this day forward, I follow you. You don't even have to get all of the words right. But just to make that proclamation, that as you reflect on the lyrics of this next song, that long lay the world 
and sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That you might consider that if I'm right and that God came as the light of the world in darkness so that all those who would turn to Jesus would be called children of God, that all of those that would believe in his name would have a relationship with the God of the universe. If I'm right, then you have so much to consider. Why not consider placing your faith and confidence in Christ this Christmas? And if you're watching and you've already prayed that prayer, maybe for the next two songs, you might pray for that person that's tuning in and watching this right now, that they would have the courage and strength to place their faith in Christ as their savior. You might even think about someone in your own life that hasn't taken that step yet, that they might experience the light of the world this Christmas. Let's sing together. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.